Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Good morning, uh, everyone. We have a special guest today, Robert Spencer, uh, author of The Critical Quran, explained from key Islamic commentaries and contemporary historical research. Um, you are the director of Jihad Watch, and you, you've done a lot of stuff. Actually, I've run into some of your studies when I was working for the federal government. So uh, thanks for coming today. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, that's good to hear. Uh, I didn't know anybody in the federal government was reading anything I wrote. Uh, well, that's why I don't work there anymore. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I only I only spent about a year at Homeland Security and Immigration Intelligence, and I was like, yeah, it's just stupid. We're not we're not doing anything here. Come on, man. Um, may as well just go join the circus. Um, <clears throat> so you've written quite a few books. Um, you've done quite a bit. You you may have done more historical research on Islam and particularly Muhammad than anybody else that's around right now. Maybe so. Uh, I don't really think that he was uh, an actual historical figure. I think that he was mostly made up for political purposes a couple hundred years after the fact. Mm. Of course, we still have to know what Muslims believe about Muhammad and what he said and did because they believe he was real. They act upon it. We see the violence that they commit in his name pretty much every day somewhere around the world. Right. Uh, so what, what is it that makes you believe, uh, uh, I know it's hard to prove a negative, but what, what is it that, that makes you skeptical about him existing in the first place? Because I have some of the same skepticisms, and I have some of the same skepticisms about Jesus, actually, um, as, sure. as, a, as a, like a historical figure, not necessarily as a, as a political movement, which is what it was in the first century and shit like that. So d- dive into that a little bit, because I think it's really interesting. Well, the main uh, part of the argument is that The Arab armies sweep out of Arabia. They conquer North Africa, the Middle East, Iran, and part of India with astonishing speed and incredible power. Really, there's no uh, offensive warfare, no record of conquest as impressive as that in human history. And they're supposed to have been motivated by Muhammad's words in the Quran saying to fight the unbelievers. So you would expect. When the conquered people ask them, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? 
which they did, and we have records of it, that they would have said, well, we're the Muslims, and the Muslims are the people who believe in Muhammad as a prophet of Islam, and this is our new religion, and here's our new holy book, the Quran, and it tells us to fight and conquer the unbelievers. There are plenty of records, however, from the time of those conquests, and there's no record of a new religion or a new holy book. A couple of mentions of Muhammad that don't fit the story of Muhammad as told in the Islamic traditions, and those traditions all date from 200 years after the fact. Right, and it's, uh, uh, I assume, a lot like um, the pre-Maccabean age of of Judaism, where uh, most of the, the... I guess I don't want to call it mythology, but most of the <clears throat> most of the stories were passed word of mouth for a, for a while, right before they actually got canonized into text, or or yeah. even even textualized <clears throat> and then canonized later on by some kind of authoritative body. There's no doubt about that. That's actually the standard Islamic story because they admit that we don't know anything about Muhammad until starting in the ninth century, around the 830s, 200 years after he died. But they say before that, these stories were passed on in oral tradition. Correct. And that's perfectly reasonable, because there were a lot of oral cultures. The Iliad and the Odyssey weren't mm-hmm. written down for hundreds of years. Yeah, I think and like so four, 400 the- years, I think. Is, is that how I, long they were? I thought it was 800. But or maybe it was eight. Right. Yeah, you might be right about that. That's, that's pretty wild, though. And it's, it's something yeah. that's persisted in Islamic culture that isn't necessarily... I think maybe Islamic and, and Judaic culture a little bit more than Christianity. It's we, we like everything on paper now, right? Uh, otherwise, there, there's no. I, I just think it's probably less of a <clears throat> less less of like a, a societal based culture and more of like an individualistic sort. You know, in the West these days, everybody's kind of out for themselves. Um, I wonder. Like you can get a PhD, and you you've mentioned this in some interviews about some prominent uh, the Shah of Iran actually has a PhD in in uh, or had a PhD in uh, uh, the recitation of the Quran, right? Oh, I, I I think are you thinking maybe of the uh, ISIS caliph? The oh yeah, Abu, Abu Baker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's I, I don't think that's I, from my understanding. I, I I went to school for theology back in the day for comparative religion, but. Uh, I don't think there is a Christian version of that. No, there's not anything like that. It's a very different setup altogether. There is this superficial similarity in the sense that the Christians have the Bible and the Muslims have the Quran, but Muslims think of the Quran in a very different way from how Christians understand the Bible and and what its role is in the faith. And the problem with the oral traditions about Muhammad is that there isn't even any mention in the first century, or in the first 60 years at least, that these traditions even exist. Nobody even says, well, we have this prophet, Muhammad, and he told us to do this. Nobody gives any indication that any of this material has is any role in anything that they're doing or even any indication that it exists. And so this is a big problem for those who just take the canonical story at face value. Right. Uh, so how would you say like what, the difference between how uh, uh, the church and the average Christian views the Bible and its role and its, and its uh, uh, authority versus how the average Muslim would, would see the Quran? The uh, average Muslim would see the Quran the way the average Christian would see Jesus. Mm. 
because Jesus is the word of God, mm. right? In the beginning of the gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, the word was God. Yeah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Quran so, is all red text is what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm okay. leading up to. That if you were to get all the words of Christ in red kind of Quran, every bit of it is the absolute word of Allah, <laughs> the perfect book existing perfectly, eternally with Allah in paradise, and then delivered over these 23 years to Muhammad. That's the story anyway. Do you think that's a big reason why Islam, uh, at least in, in, the, in the Middle East and parts of Asia, hasn't evolved to become more moderate in the same way that Christianity has globally? Very much so. Chapter 5, verse 1 of the Quran says, this day I have perfected your religion for you. Okay, so if your religion is perfect and you change it, you're making it imperfect. So bidah, innovation, is a terrible sin in Islam because there's no need to change anything. There's no need to innovate. It's already perfect. Right, but doesn't uh, so Revelation says uh, twenty two eighteen? If any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part of that of the book of life. Meaning, you're not going to heaven if you add or take away from this. Now, th that can be read to me. And John is talking about the Revelation, the book of Revelation itself, or the entirety. Who knows, right? But <clears throat> regardless of what it says, it's more important the way people process that information, right, and how they view it. Well, sure. The thing about the passage from Revelation is that that's talking about whatever extent of written material mm. that the book shouldn't be tampered with. So some people say that's just the Revelation, and some people say that's the whole Bible. Whatever, in either case, that does not preclude a reinterpretation of the texts. Whereas if you have a system where the text is perfect, and not only is the text perfect, but also there's the promise, and this is something else that's in Islamic tradition, that when the, the, there's a consensus in the Islamic community about what the text means and about a legal ruling, then that's it. It's not to be questioned after that. Okay. And so there's a consensus on the major findings, the major teachings, those can't be changed, those can't be questioned, and that includes jihad warfare against unbelievers. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a good point. And I, to go back to the, um, I guess, the early days of Islam, uh, you, you talk about uh, conquering, and uh, you, what you would expect to see is total war with, I mean, it would be almost like the Chronicles of Riddick or whatever, where that dude's what was this quote? Uh, convert or die, basically, right? I mean, that, that's that's kind of the <clears throat> the war of religious conquest. Kind of goes like that. It's a total war situation. You either submit to the new religion, or you know, you get wiped out. And we don't see that. Well, convert or die is actually what we do see when we are looking at the jihad against India, because mm -hmm. the Hindus are not people of the book. The Quran talks about people of the book quite a bit. And it primarily the word the term means Jews and Christians, although also Zoroastrians and a few mm -hmm. other groups. And the people of the book are given a third choice, not just convert or die, but submit also, in which case they pay a tax to the Muslims 
and they accept various discriminatory laws, like they can't hold uh, authority over Muslims, so they have only the most menial jobs because they can't be a Muslim's boss. They can't build their houses or their churches higher than those of the Muslims. They always have to be in a state of subordination, mm. and they all kinds of little nag nagging kind of rules, like they have to step off the sidewalk and let a Muslim pass, this kind of thing. And these were uh, enforced in Europe for many centuries. So there was convert or be subjugated, submit or die in Europe. And in India, it was convert or die, although ultimately that became impractical because there were an awful lot of Hindus right. and they could not convert or kill them all. So there were early on some rulings made that they could be given honorary people of the book status. But it was still the jihad in India was still much harsher than the jihad in Europe. And uh, you, you think that's because of polytheism versus monotheism or like why, why would they have drawn that particular of a, of a dividing line? There's a lot of caste system built into all this as well. But it, do, do you think it's uh, uh, because Europeans had a, a, a better means of, of fighting back or something like why, why would they have done that? Or, or was it just the polytheism thing? Yeah, I think it's solely and wholly because of the people of the book distinction that the Jews and Christians are mentioned in the Quran and they are, it says to fight the people of the book until they pay the jizya, the tax, mm. with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. But for the polytheists, it's just kill them wherever you find them or otherwise convert them to Islam. So the uh, Islamic armies in India felt as if they had a particular imperative to humiliate the Hindus as well as to conquer them. So they would dismantle the Hindu temples and, dis and destroy the idols and take the broken pieces and put them in front of the mosques so that every time the Muslims were going to the mosques, they would be trampling upon the Hindu gods. Mm. They never did that kind of thing in Europe because they considered that they worshipped the same God. As the Quran says, your Allah and our Allah are the same. And so even though they thought that the Jews and Christians were misguided and it changed the religion in an illegitimate way, they still worshipped Allah. <clears throat> That's really interesting. Uh, also interesting that, I, I mean... I, it, Christianity probably, I mean, it certainly is now, but it probably was then as well, I guess, the the only religion larger than Islam, right? I mean, uh, I think it's, there's like two and a half billion Christians and approaching two billion Muslims at this point. I, I don't know how, uh, what the sizes were back then. It's really interesting. Uh, and it's, that that's a conflict that's persisted. Uh, since what the eighth century, I guess, basically between uh, uh, the Asian continent and Islam, really, yeah. uh, and it, it's one like it, it, pre it, pre it, uh, it predates uh, Christianity versus Islam by a little bit too, right? Well, the uh, uh, yeah, actually, but very very small amount of time because you have the uh, armies going into Sindh which is now in Pakistan mm. and is part of the whole uh, Indian subcontinent, of course, that's around the, in the 650s and 60s. And then in 675 is the first attempt to besiege Constantinople, which was, of course, the great Christian city. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, one followed the other close, close after. I mean, more or less in the same generation then, if, if it's that close oh, together. Yeah. Um, what was the, uh, uh, the, the, 
region of the Middle East where Islam sprang forth and, and, and moved around so quickly, what was their religion before? Well, that's a good question. What was their religion for? Uh, it's the only religion that actually has a doctrine and theology and legal system that mandates warfare against unbelievers. Hmm. Now, that's not anything that a Muslim would tell you this is what the whole religion is for, but it does obviously make it distinct and can keep Muslims, some Muslims, in continuing conflict with non-Muslims wherever they are because of this violent imperative. But uh, any Muslim would tell you that what the religion is for is summed up in the Shahada, the profession of faith. Mm -hmm. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That it's to clear away idolatry, which pretty much everybody in the Muslim view is guilty of. Even the Jews and Christians who are fellow monotheists, mm -hmm. they would say that the Christian trinity is really uh, polytheism disguised. And that the Jews uh, worship Ezra as the son of Allah, which is actually completely false and based on holy, just a complete error, but it's in the Quran. And so as far as a Muslim is concerned, it's absolutely true. Wow. Um, but even in those early days, you, you can see the disparity between how they approached uh, one group versus another, right? The people of the book versus not the people of the book. And Very I, much. We see it today as well. I mean, there's... I, there's certainly never been a higher percentage of, of what you might consider moderate Muslims than there are today, certainly, right? Because people have to participate in society, and there are consequences to being uh, uh, a zealot, no matter what it is. Even if you're just uh, a really preachy vegan, there's a consequence to that, too. People are like, you're a dick. Get out of here. We don't want to hear this shit. Um, <clears throat> what is it in your mind? Um, well, let, let's continue through this before I get to that question, because that's kind of a end of the day question. Um, tell me about the book, the critical Quran. So my understanding is I've, I haven't, um, <clears throat> had a chance to read this one, but is it, it's a Quran and it has footnotes with that, that kind of dive into the actual Arabic translations and in some cases, multiple translations for the same thing and what they might mean. Cause I know there's a lot of obfuscation attempts, uh, yeah. for, for, and this is something that's, any religion that goes through their moderation process, it goes through this same kind of thing. Like people realize, well, that statement was probably not the best thing to say. And we should stop trying to just explain it away and say, hey, that guy was wrong or whatever. Right. But uh, uh, tell me more about the book. The Quran, the critical Quran is a, a new translation of the Quran that is clear where a lot of earlier translations, as you noted, try to cover up and obfuscate what the book is actually saying. They try to uh, make it more difficult rather than easier for English-speaking non-Muslims to understand. Uh, for example, if you read chapter 4, verse 34, in one of the most common English translations by Abdullah Yusuf Ali, written in the 1930s, it's the one the U.S. military gives out to this day, very popular, very common. And you go to 434, and it says about women, good women are obedient. As for those that are dis from whom you fear disobedience, give them a warning, send them to separate beds, and beat them lightly. But the lightly is not in the Arabic. It mm -hmm. just says, and beat them. 
And so this is just one example. There are other English translations that just say and beat them. I actually, for that verse, discuss them in the footnotes and show what all the different translations say, because it's such a controversial verse. But a lot of things in, in English translations of the Quran cover up rather than reveal what this text is all about. Like all the verses about jihad. Jihad means struggle. And so uh, most of the English Qurans say, strive hard in the way of Allah, which sounds like, oh, pray more, be nice to people. But they don't, real, they don't give you a sense of the fact that when you have the word jihada, the verbal form of jihad in, in, in Arabic, a Muslim is going to understand that in light of Islamic theology, and the primary meaning of jihad in Islamic theology is warfare against unbelievers. Mm. So mm. we leave it untranslated. Actually, we say wage jihad for the sake of Allah. And then you can understand, oh, this is one of the passages that the jihadis use, and they see there, oh, that's marching orders for me to wage war against unbelievers. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, there's been... Uh... How would you address? I'm just. I like to play devil's avocado uh, at every opportunity because I am a skeptic, and uh, I, I also enjoy straw and steel manning other people's arguments just to see where the gaps are in understanding. Because it, 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 we're human beings, right? We're all trying to figure out what's going on here. But uh, how would you respond to people who uh, say that Islam is going through right now what Christianity went through in the Middle Ages and blah blah blah? Right? Like yeah. basically trying to soften the language a little bit so it doesn't seem quite so crazy. Well, the problem is I'm all for softening the language. If they want to do that, if they can get away with it, that's great. But they don't need to convince you or me. They mm. need to convince the Muslims who read the book and think, oh, we have to go and fight unbelievers and kill them. That's the problem. And there are far too many Muslim spokesmen in the West whose intent is to make unbelievers complacent and not worried about jihad, but none of the arguments that they make will actually convince any jihadi to cut it out and lay down his arms. And this is the, the difficulty with that, that what they really have to do is convert their fellow Muslims who believe in jihad violence. And the uh, efforts to do that are actually quite rare. <clears throat> um, what do you make of the, the leftist the Western leftist effort to shield Islam from criticism. Like I can't, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make a whole lot of, it seems very uh, suicidal for lack of a better phrase, to be honest. Like I, I, yeah. I, I don't understand the motivation behind it. I mean, you can assign a lot of things. It, you, you I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes like maybe their empathy has gotten away from itself a little bit, but this seems particularly stupid to me. It is. There's no doubt about it, especially because if you criticize Christianity, you're a big hero on the left. You know, you look at Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. These guys are respected people precisely because they criticize Christianity and the left loves that. Mm -hmm. But me, you go to my you Google me, you know, and you get the Southern Poverty Law Center's slander sheet all uh, saying all these horrible things about me most of which are false, and the others are taken uh, wildly away from the meaning that I intended. And why does the left hate people who are critics of Islam when they lionize and make heroes out of critics of Christianity? I think it's because Islamic groups 
have very skillfully played the race card, even though Islam is not a race, and there are Muslims of all races and Islamic jihadis of all races. And they have appealed to the left's claim to stand up for the victimized and the marginalized and the downtrodden. And they've said, look, when these people talk about Islam and talk about how jihadis use Islam, then we become the victims of vigilante attacks. Now, this is wildly exaggerated also. Uh, FBI hate crime statistics don't bear out that Muslims are subjected to widespread persecution in the United States. But they claim this and they make a big deal out of it. And a lot of leftists fall right for it. Well, that's the the interesting thing about, I, I guess, how people view their their belief systems uh, uh, and their cultural belief systems as well here, especially here in America. I mean... <clears throat> Anytime I can think of a, a white or Christian person uh, doing something stupid or evil, uh, it's pretty much, not, not pretty much, I mean, the, everyone who's not a complete lunatic says that was wrong pretty much immediately, right? I mean, it's, I, there, there isn't a whole lot of, well, I mean, you know, they grew up in poverty or whatever excuses made for somebody like this asshole in Buffalo that shot these people like that person should have been, honestly, uh, it would have been great if the cops had just walked in and blew his fucking brains out. I don't really care if he's still armed or not. You've killed that many people. You die. That's my opinion. Um, obviously that's why I'm not a cop because that's not the right thing to do, but fuck that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how people, uh, hold those different beliefs, uh, from one side to the other. Uh, and it's, you, you you really hit the nail on the head. It's like, there's no, and it's why I was against <clears throat> the invasions uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, because a bunch of white faces aren't going to convince people intent on causing harm because of their thousand year old belief, right? It's just not going to happen. There's no way to do that. Funny you say that. I'm just working on a book right now. I was just working on it before we started this. And it'll be out later this year about how the whole Afghanistan thing was mis mishandled from the beginning, saying exactly what you were just saying and much more to to illustrate it. So how do you, uh, what, what is your goal with all this? I mean, obviously, I, one of the phrases that's becoming pretty popular lately is <clears throat> that uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant, which is, which, which means that just saying clearly what something is. And letting people absorb that information can can more effectively than a lot of other strategies end stupid ideas. I, I always say that good ideas are, are are the solution to bad ideas, not censorship or whatever else. Certainly not violence. Um, what's your who who's who are you talking to when you write these books? Well, I'm really talking to in the first place non-Muslims who need to know about the teachings of Islam because the teachings of Islam are concerned about us. And we have not yet heard the last from the Islamic jihadis. So uh, forewarned is forearmed to a tremendous degree. And if we understand the motives and goals of the jihadis, we can take appropriate steps to defend ourselves. Now, I think that's the primary thing we have not done. In all these years since 9-11, that was the first mistake that George W. Bush made back in 2001 when he went to the mosque six days after 9-11 and he said Islam is peace and he hamstrung 
the ability of our military, intelligence, law enforcement apparatus to understand what the enemy was all about. Not because every Muslim is a terrorist, they aren't, and or that every Muslim is not on our side or they hate us or whatever, but because the jihadis ground their actions in the teachings of Islam. So this book is designed to illuminate that because it's still very much a threat that is with us. And secondarily, the book is for Muslims. It's actually dedicated to people who love the Quran to show them that there, uh, there are some very difficult, problematic aspects of it, why non-Muslims might be concerned about these things, and maybe they should give some thought to these things as well. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know, I'm not religious, uh, I don't know if you are, but how, like, when there's problematic things from the past that are part of your culture or your religion, How, I mean, I, I wonder how people are meant to address that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's one thing for it to be part of Western culture, and that doesn't really have anything to do with me because I just exist here now. But if it's something that I still believe in, something that I still practice, for the, the, for the, for the moderate, you know, if you read, it's, it's funny, I've done this before quite a bit. I've done it with... Um, <clears throat> with uh, uh with mormons and muslims like i'll read something from one of their texts and uh they'll be like well i don't believe that like okay cool but there there's there's work to be done here right if you don't believe that but some, some like large swaths of your uh, in the mid uh 2000s some surveys were done in the middle east about support for uh fundamentalism and uh suicide terrorism particularly right and there were a list of <clears throat> about nine countries, prominent countries in the Middle East, where 40% or more of the population supported suicide terrorism. This isn't like made up stuff. This is legit stuff. So I guess, what would you say to a modern Western Muslim about what their responsibility is here? Well, I would say that they have a responsibility to say publicly that they oppose these things and to explain why on Islamic grounds and try to convince their fellow Muslims of the need to renounce these aspects of the Islamic faith. I would say the same thing. If there were a glo global network of, of, of Christians or Jews or Hindus or Buddhists who were pointing to their scriptures and justifying violence on that basis, and there were 40,000 attacks from them since 9-11, Let's say the same thing to them. This is not singling them, the Muslims out as if they are somehow in the wrong more than other people. It's just a recognition of the fact that there is this use being made of the Islamic holy text. So if you have a sincere person who rejects that, then they need to be forthright about it and stand up against it because it's only spreading still in the Islamic community. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, it seems like a pretty this. This seems like a pretty easy thing to explain to me, honestly. I I don't understand uh, why more folks don't more more moderate Muslims don't do it. Um, I'll tell you why they get their head cut off. Uh, heretics and apostates are to be killed, and so this take this is a big problem with standing up and calling for reform when you can be taking your life into your hands. 
Now, why would I be wanting people to take their life into their hands? Because this is a matter of life and mm. death. People are being killed. And so while I recognize the risk, and I'm under the risk as well, you know, I, I've, I've already survived two attempts on my life. I'm not, I don't have any illusions here. But the fact is that if we don't have people who will stand up, then those who are continuing to do this violence are going to be the only ones left standing. And so we, we have to take a stand against it, even at risk. Sure, yeah. Robert, give me just a sec to read some ads. Uh, we'll get this going again. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles, where you get a mattress and adjustable base. 30% off everything else. If you go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros, you know the deals. Uh, I like the... I've got to buy a new... Uh, mattress soon for the uh, <clears throat> for the guest room in our new place. I think I'm going to get a 3D matrix and put my current bed in there. But they're all they're all cooling mattresses. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some of them even have a 25-year warranty. You can try it out for 101 nights. Uh, if you don't like it, send it back. No hard feelings, but I guarantee you won't. It's the best mattress in the world. They've also got the best sheets, best pillows, literally the best pillows. I travel with it. I take it and a separate piece of luggage whenever I fly somewhere. Um, <clears throat> if you're in the market for a base, for an adjustable base, which I highly recommend, you add that to the mattress and then everything else you put on your order, you're going to get 40% off of that. You're not going to get a better deal anywhere for any kind of bed, probably not for any kind of product uh, than that. So go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros and get those deals. Uh, next up, speaking of the new house, I got to set up my security system, which is, you know, Cameras everywhere and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm paranoid. Um, <clears throat> you know, I love the break-in protection that my Simply Safe home security system gives me. I have to, uh, uh, I'm actually going to get a new one to put into the new place and gift my, my current place uh, with, with the old stuff. Uh, it's not just outside forces that you need Simply Safe's protection for. Uh, Simply Safe customer named Amy, this is a good story they sent us. Um, it's a chronic sleepwalker that lives near a four lane highway. Uh, one night, a few months ago, she slept walked out of her bedroom and then continued right out the front door. This is a super dangerous situation. She could have been heading for a big accident. Luckily, as she walked out of the house, the simply safe entry sensor on her front door triggered the uh, 95 decibel siren, uh, in the base station. If you're not familiar with decibels right now, a normal conversation is about 65 decibels. So you're, you're talking about 50% higher. Uh, than a normal talking voice. It's pretty loud. Loud enough, in fact, to wake her up before she wandered in the street or some other trouble. Now, you probably don't have sleepwalking issues. What you might have, though, is a child who is a little rambunctious and may let themselves out of the house, and that noise might be the difference between them wandering off somewhere. Uh, maybe an elderly <clears throat> family member who you know, does that sort of thing as well. The thing I love about Simply Safe, aside from that very specific example, is that it's super easy to set up, um, a reason, reasonable uh, price for everything. Um, I set the whole thing up in about 20 minutes um, with window sensors, cameras, motion sensors inside the house, all that stuff. Um, now, everybody's got a different house, so you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes. Go to simplysafe.com slash American Party. Uh, it's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash American Party. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera with uh, plus 20% off of their interactive monitoring. Uh, go to simplysafe.com slash American Party and get them deals. But it, 
what like Western Muslims, maybe not in Europe so much because there's still quite a bit of radical nonsense going on in a lot of European countries. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, particularly Northern Europe and then Germany, who's just opened the floodgates with their immigration situation, which is, uh, that's a whole other show. <laughs> but uh, the jihad element in that, that permeates the Quran was obviously added as a, as a tenet of their faith because they were conducting wars of conquest like every other religion, except for maybe Jainism. And the history of humanity has done, right? Everyone has done it. Every religion's ever done it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, <clears throat> some of the uh, Jewish rules about like pork, you know what I mean? Where pork, certain types of things were killing people. They were getting bacterial infections and shit they couldn't control. So like, hey, let's just make this a rule where we don't do this anymore. But we put it in our holy book so people now think it's a holy rule. Most of the Jews I know these days... Um, <clears throat> while quite a few of them still observe things like that because it's part of their culture, uh, and they do so because I think it doesn't really hurt anybody to do it, but they're not going to give you some kind of scientific or historical explanation for why pork is dangerous. You know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not a, a, a part of their faith that's held deeply at their core because they know it doesn't really, it's stupid now. And they're all, they're not forcing their wives to sleep in a, in a, a little subsidy of their city when they're on their period every month and stupid shit like that. You know what I mean? They've moved on from that and how I, I think bo- a book like this is super important, not just to shine some light on what the actual belief is, but also contextualize the history of it. Right. I mean, it's, I, 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 I don't judge moderate Muslims in, in America today for dumb shit that happened in the seventh and eighth centuries. Like that's, that, that, that is an incredibly stupid thing to do for anybody. Um, <clears throat> but I do judge people for, for uh, what I would consider to be a very intentional cognitive dissonance. You know what I mean? Like, it just be honest about what it is that's happening here, and then we can all deal with it together. But if you continue to not be honest, then we're, we're not, there's no conversation that can be had if we don't agree on the terms of the conversation, right? That's exactly it. Right there. And I have so many times dealt with or debated or had discussions with moderate Muslim spokesmen in the West. And they tell me, you know, properly understood, you really read the Quran right and it teaches peace. And I uh, tell them, come on, you know that all the schools of jurisprudence, all the sects of Islam, the major sects teach warfare. Where did they get it? They're all misunderstanding it. What about all these passages calling for violence and so on and so on? And what are you doing above all to convince the people who don't agree with you if this is really the true understanding of Islam? But what they're trying to do is really it's a fundamentally dishonest enterprise. They're trying to make sure that Western non-Muslims are complacent and don't think there's a problem. They're not really trying to stop jihadis at all. Um, Yeah, you don't... um... Well, how would you react to, there's been quite a few prominent Muslims in America, some that are members of Congress, some that are uh, members of, I guess, defend, defenders of Islam organizations, you know what I mean, uh, 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 that say um, they shouldn't have to denounce every single act of Islamic terrorism every time one happens, right? Um, how, how would you react to that? 
Yeah, I got no problem with that. I think those denunciations are stupid. You know, I, I see them all the time. Whenever there's a terrorist attack and like uh, the president of France and Biden uh, and, and whoever else say, oh, I condemn this attack. And I think, oh, I, I was worried. I thought you were for it. <laughs> you know, it's the stupidest thing. Yeah. I yeah. don't care if they condemn I don't need to have their declaration that they're against it. What I want to see is what they're doing in their communities to make sure the next one doesn't happen. Right. And that's absolutely zero. That's the big problem. The Council on American Islamic Relations has complained exactly like you were saying. They don't want to have to condemn every, okay, don't condemn it. I don't care. But why is there not a single program anywhere in any American mosque to teach against the jihadis' understanding of Islam? And why isn't CARE working to put programs like that in place? Sure. Why, why isn't the U.S. government ceasing any kind of interaction with Saudi Arabia where 82% of the primary education facilities are fucking madrasas? I mean, that's a pretty good that, – that is a very reasonable question to ask, and I've never heard anybody address it in any real way. Like what yeah. – like OPEC is – that's, that's – I don't get it. I mean, it's – and we, we were doing it still, right? We're still doing deals with Saudi Arabia. It doesn't make yeah, any sense. Sam to Alliance. You know, uh, we had a chance there when we had energy independence last year. We had a chance to get out of entanglements of this kind with states like Saudi Arabia that could never really be full allies of the United States. There would always be this reserve because they're always going to view us as unbelievers and not on the same level. Right. And there's a there's a member of the Saudi royal family that actually funds a department at Harvard, right? Oh, yeah. And then they turn out Islamic apologetics and demonize and vilify people who speak honestly about these issues. That's really bizarre. I mean, you can you can usually tell if you're correct about something if large organizations or groups of people uh, attack you for what you're saying. Usually that means you've hit a nerve. Uh, and it's it's interesting because you're pretty your writing is pretty careful not to demonize human beings themselves for what they believe right it, it's 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 about the the historical context the history itself and the belief itself but not the person and you say that elements uh that permeate the quran specifically call for violence and that is wrong i think if you separated the two if you just if you took the islamic quran part out of it and explained a scenario where someone was offended by something and they took some violent action, the vast majority of people, particularly in the West, would say, no, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. But then the, the waters get pretty muddy when you add the Islam part. Now, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, except that people have been conditioned now for 20 years since 9-11 to think that even the slightest hint that any of this might be coming from Islam and there might be some violence connected with Islam, that's terrible and Islamophobic and racist. And so you can't say it. And so it has to be silenced. And the left is totally on board with this idea. And they, they, they will not hear of the possibility that any of these people could be inspired by Islamic teachings, even though the jihad terrorists themselves repeatedly explain their actions on and justify their actions and make recruits among peaceful Muslims by pointing to the Quran and saying, we are the ones who are doing what the Quran says. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, I think it is, 
it is unique among all human religions in that way. Like I, but because of the, because of the new Testament, it's very hard to make the case that, um, violence is the primary tool in conversion, right? Because that's not the story, particularly in the Pauline doctrine, right? It's, it's certainly not the story of how to take a person who is a Gentile or a Jew or whomever and convert them to Christianity. That's just not, that's not how it's done. It, there, there, there aren't, while, while there were quite a few wars of conquest conducted by Christians, I don't, I don't, it would be hard to, it would be hard to draw a line back to the doctrine of the New Testament and justify that, in my opinion. And I've, I've, read read that book quite a bit or that series of books quite a bit um but it's not the same for islam and the the interesting thing is is that as i mentioned most people most reasonable people don't believe that that shit's okay but when when the people who are the authorities on this sort of thing both and authorities on islam and authorities on how to run governments right both locally like the united states and the global system of governance refuse to admit that now it's like i don't know how to explain it it's it's almost like uh you've got a hole in your bucket and stuff is leaking out now right because you didn't take care of that really small issue now it's a bigger issue and it's unnecessary that's the part that's really irritating about it like there are going to be crazy people no matter what but why not just say they're crazy you know i mean that that seems like a reasonable thing to do i it, I, what what penalty is there for Western politicians to to stand up to this stuff? You oh well, I mean? they'd lose everything. They'd be denounced as racists and bigoted, racists and bigots, and Islamophobes, and uh, there would be calls for their resignation, and uh, they'd probably be voted out of office. They got this all locked up in this way, and the politicians are terrified. And yet the idea that you cannot speak about what the jihadis themselves repeatedly say, it's ridiculous on its face, but they got everybody falling for it because of these threats. The worst thing you can be called in America today is a racist. And even though Islam is not a race, nonetheless, if you say, you know, Islam has doctrines of violence and warfare, even though you're not talking about Muslims, you're talking about Islam. And every Muslim approaches Islam differently and in varying degrees. Nonetheless, if you say that, you'll be called a racist. And if you're called a racist and you're a politician, it's professional suicide. What we've seen recently, uh, and we're seeing it more now, are, uh, or rather is that these corporations in America aren't actually woke. They're just political opportunists and capitalist opportunists. And you can see it probably nowhere better than at Netflix, who is recently told their entire staff, hey, knock it off with all the woke shit. Uh, they canceled Ibrahim X. Kendi's shows that were, that were in pre-production. Um, they canceled, the, or, or Hulu just canceled Hillary Clinton's fucking Rodham show. People are, are sick of this shit, and the market is reacting to it. So <clears throat> the lesson that I feel like a lot of corporations have learned Far too slowly, by the way, uh, is one that I think, uh, uh, I don't know if you're a sports guy, but Charles Barkley is the best at this. He says whatever he wants, and he's like, look, I don't give a shit if you like it or not. 
I, I said what I said. If you can prove me wrong, then we'll have a conversation about it. But I'm not going to I'm not going to apologize for some shit I said when I think it's true. You know what I mean? Unless you can prove me wrong. I feel like a lot of corporations are starting to understand this. And it, I, I wonder what <clears throat> the impetus will be for politicians in America to, to, to grow some fucking balls, I guess, right? I mean, it's not us getting attacked because that happened and we got even softer. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. What, what do you think it's going to be? What, like, what, would be? what would be a sign for you that the tables are starting to turn and people are starting to wise up to some of this stuff? If a politician were to say that there is a problem within the Quran or within Islamic teaching and that it needs reform, it needs to be honestly acknowledged by Muslims of goodwill and they need to work for reform. If I heard a politician say that, I would, well, in the first place, you'd have to pick me up off the floor after I fainted. But the that would be a sign that the tide was turning. And I think the only way that'll ever happen in real life is if this whole woke business continues to be rejected and discredited so that after a while people stop being so afraid to say what is true and stop being stop calculating the political risks of everything that they want to say that's true and then politicians there might be one or two somewhere who will have the courage to step out on this i mean it's it's just an obvious fact but they've really done a number. It's, it's really a skillful PR job mm-hmm. over the last 20 years to make everybody afraid to go there. There's nothing that's more of a third rail in American politics that'll absolutely kill your career than speaking honestly about Islam. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, but we've seen some movement in the, in the correct direction, in my opinion, over the last 12 to 18 months on some of these other issues. Uh, so CRT is one of them, right? and uh, rebuffed nationwide pretty much everywhere. And it's gone, it seems to go through the same kind of cycle in politics, which is to say, uh, first, it's a conspiracy theory. Second, it doesn't exist at all, right? Which is uh, what you heard for the last year. And then it starts showing up like, oh, no, you just don't like history or whatever. Like it's, it's a, it, 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 they try to wedge this stuff in wherever possible, but it does seem to be that the tide is turning a little bit against wokeness now we certainly haven't seen it with regard to islam but uh today we got another benefit well the virginia elections were big uh school choice has been a big thing over the last year Corey DeAngelis is doing a really good job leading from the front on that um getting this insane grooming bullshit out of our schools um and today we find that the the disinformation governance board which is the thought police, let's be really clear about that, yeah. has been paused, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, but it is uh, more interesting that uh, the lady that was supposed to be in charge of it, this failed actress that's a disinformation specialist, whatever the hell that means, um, is, uh, re- has resigned entirely from government, right? Like, she got that's annihilated. Great. So uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, obviously... It, it it coincides with what you've been talking about that's happened in America over the last 20 years, uh, but it got rejected here. I, I'm sure this won't be the last try to do something like this, but it is. I do feel like the tide has turned in a lot of different ways over the last year. Yeah, well, you know, the Biden administration is so incompetent on every level and so wildly unpopular with his, he's setting new records every day for for low approval ratings. 
And so he pulls out this disinformation governance board, and there's already an atmosphere of people being very concerned about the freedom of speech, about the social media giants controlling the public discourse and deplatforming and silencing conservatives. So it was the worst possible environment for him to introduce this thing in the first place. And then after the beating, the terrible public relations beating they've taken over the last three weeks for it, they uh, withdrew it today, probably temporarily, Probably it will not be their last uh, foray against the freedom of speech, but it's a tremendously good sign. And you're right, though, it has not yet come to the question of Islam. Even just the other day with the Pennsylvania Senate race, Dr. Mehmed Oz, the candidate that Trump endorsed, called for his opponent, Kathy Barnett, to be disqualified from the race because she criticized Islam. And I thought that's just incredible that he's not just saying she's wrong. He's not just saying she's a bad person. He's saying she should not be allowed to run for Senate in Pennsylvania because she doesn't like Islam enough. Now, until we get a big pushback from on that, where Oz is laughed out of the room for saying something like that and soundly beaten at the polls, until that happens, we still have this problem with regard to the freedom of speech, particularly in connection with Islam. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I'll... To your first point, we've been bitching for the last 18 months about how out to lunch and competent Biden and his administration are, but it may have been a blessing in disguise, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. uh, uh, to the second point, yeah, that's real. I've, I've, I've seen that, and it's, it's bewildering to me that somebody, even outside of the political establishment like Trump, uh, who, you know, I don't think he's conservative or liberal. He's just, he just does whatever the fuck he wants to do, to be honest. And I think he values uh, fame and, and friendships more than he does any particular political position. So, yeah, he's going to back Oz because they've been friends for 25 years or whatever. But <clears throat> probably so, yeah. Even, even still, like, there's no one that I'm close enough to that could say something like that where I wouldn't immediately challenge them in public. You know what I mean? If they're a public figure, like, that's sure. a ridiculous thing to say. Why would there be any religious test? for uh for political office in america much less islam like that doesn't make any fucking sense absolutely and you'd think that trump who insisted on saying islamic terrorism after obama threw all reference of islam out out of our counter-terror training materials and you know i was training fbi and military people and i was fired at that time and every mention of islam was removed from all of the materials that the government uses. And now, and then Trump came in and he keeps saying Islamic terrorism. He didn't do a thing to change the culture in the FBI or DHS or all the any other agency, but he did keep insisting on saying that we were dealing with Islamic terrorism. And so now he's endorsed this candidate who says, oh, if you criticize Islam, you shouldn't be allowed to run for office. Yeah, that's wild, huh? Incredible. Uh, uh, what, so, um, while we're talking about politics, this is a question I like to ask anybody um, that that deals in in this avenue of politics um, <clears throat> because it's a difficult one, and I'm not sure there is any good solution to it. Certainly not one that the West can provide. But the uh, Israel Palestine situation is completely fucked, right? It's been for a long time, uh, oh, a yeah. lot longer than we've been alive for sure. Uh, even you, uh, even before Israel was a state. Even uh, me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, 
like what 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 is the is there any mutual desire to end state for this that's even possible no not a, not a chance it's it's actually based on islam the quran says very simply this is the key to the whole conflict right here chapter 2 verse 191 of the quran drive them out from where they drove you out and so the palestinian arabs say we were driven out of this land we have a de- responsibility before our god that we have to drive out the people who drove us out now it's actually a historical myth I have a book I wrote, The Palestinian Delusion, a few years back, and I quote all these newspapers and uh, Arab sources, the Arab Higher Committee and others, calling on the Arabs to leave the new state of Israel in 1948. The idea was is that the Arab states were going to destroy Israel, and then the people who lived there could go back. They didn't win, and so it didn't work out the way they planned. But in other words, they were not driven out. Certainly. But that's part of their historical mythology mm-hmm. that they were driven out, and thus they have this Quranic imperative that they have to drive the Israelis out. Yeah. There's no negotiating that away. It's in the Quran. Allah wants it. And so there's no way they can go to Oslo or somewhere and make a deal that's going to defy what Allah wants. Yeah, the, the only deals they make are going to help them get to where they're doing what Allah wants, sure. but sure. not any that are going to create a genuine lasting peace. And the, there, there is a misconception, I believe, uh, about the history of the region, particularly in the 20th century, right, where a lot of people think there was some kind of uh, maybe loose Palestinian state there. That's not true. I mean, it's, it's, it, was, it was Transjordanians, right, so, uh, uh, that, that occupied that, that area, including a lot of Christians and a lot of Jews at the time, right? Uh, well, you know, British mandate Palestine before 1948. If you look, I, I actually have put this picture up at my website, jihadwatch.org, a few times. There's a, a world atlas, and it's got all the flags, you know, flags mm. of the world. And it says Palestine, 1939, and it's a, a picture of a flag with a big star of David on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the people don't realize that British Mandate Palestine had a very significant Jewish population, and it was considered to be the homeland of the Jews, that the settlement of the Jews from elsewhere was encouraged into the area, but there'd always been Jews there. Certainly, yeah. I mean, for forever, for a very, very long time. I mean, uh, anyways, uh, I, I always thought that's a really facile argument that people make because it's so easily disproven with any history book that you can pick up. Uh, but um, it is the common rhetoric, right? Oh, yeah, very much so. You know, occupied territory. Okay, occupied territories implies that some other state owns it. So what other state owns it? State of Palestine? There was never a Palestinian Arab state called Palestine. Never. There was never a Palestinian president, a Palestinian king, Palestinian emperor. Never happened. And and the Palestinians consider themselves almost, I mean, maybe not entirely, but almost a de facto separate race entirely, right? So if you... Well, yeah, but this is a new thing. It only started in the 1960s. Certainly, yeah, yeah. Like there was you, no mention, even in 48, when Israel was founded, mm-hmm. there was no mention of Palestinians. It was all the Arabs, and there was no distinguishing, and there still isn't really, culturally, linguistically, or religiously, no distinguishing the Palestinians from the Jordanians or the Syrians or the Lebanese. It's all the same. They're the Arabs of the area. 
and that was Turkish land. It was the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire fell. They ceded the land to the League of Nations. Mm -hmm. The League of Nations awarded it to Britain for the express purpose of establishing a Jewish national home. So when people talk about occupied territory, the reality is, is that according to international law, there is no country that owns that land except Israel. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the original, uh, like, I have deep sympathy for people who live in modern Palestine because uh, they are, uh, uh, in my, it, it, it very much appears as though they're completely subjugated to the politics of all this shit. And they have very little say. I mean, anytime anybody, what was it, 2000, 2006, uh, a literal terrorist organization won their prime minister elections, right? Like they, they controlled the government. Hamas controlled the government there. Uh, uh, and obviously within what, three months figured out they had no idea how to run a government. Uh, and the U S started funding them through Qatar and all this other bullshit. But, uh, it must seem like, I mean, it's, it is a deep brainwashing Oh yeah, and it's not. I, I don't think uh, Israel's done itself a whole lot of favors either with some of the the uh, settlement expansions and stuff like that. But even if they hadn't done that, right, the level of brainwashing that's been done on people who live in actual Palestine, and maybe to a greater degree, people who are sympathetic towards Palestine from outside there, is uh, it's almost criminal, right? It, it's it's as much to blame for there not being a solution as anything else, in my opinion. Oh, I think it is criminal, flat out, because you look, for example, just go to Palestinian Media Watch mm. or Middle East Media Research Institute. Go to both. Search around for what kind of things are on Palestinian Authority official national television on a more or less daily basis. And you will find calls for genocide. You will find little tiny kids saying, I want to grow up and kill Jews. Mm. And you, you have Hamas put out a music video that said, uh, killing Jews is worship of Allah. And people are just absolutely marinating in this kind of thing all the time in the Palestinian territories. And so you see uh, some guy pick up a knife and start stabbing random Israelis on the street. It's very clear why. The incitement is, is practically constant. <clears throat> so how do we deal with this situation? I mean, it, it's one that has... Uh some effect the relationship between israel and its neighbors affects uh the west quite a bit i feel like because we are committed to to protecting them right so uh how, how do we deal with this well you know i think the trump administration actually in this case had the right idea uh they cut off the aid to the palestinian authority they said look you're paying salaries to terrorists in prison and to their families and so you're just encouraging the terrorists. You're just going to get more. You pay for something, you get more of it. And so you've got to cut that off. And the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, said, I'm, we're not going to cut it off. This is our first priority. And so the Trump administration cut aid to the Palestinian Authority. And there was also passed the Taylor Force Act, which forbade U.S. taxpayer money being given to any entity that funded terrorism. But the Biden administration, in defiance of the Terror for Taylor Force Act, which is still American law, 
is funding the Palestinians again. And they say, well, this is just humanitarian aid. They're not going to use this money for terrorism. <laughs> well, you know, that's a that's a ridiculous argument because money is fungible. If you give me $10 and you say, don't use it on, on vodka, don't buy vodka with this, I'll say, okay, I'll buy vodka with my other $10 and I'll use this $10 for, for, for a hamburger or whatever. The, the point is, you give me money, you're, you're financing me. You know, you give the Palestinians money, you're financing them. You can tell them it's not for this, it's for that, but you're just freeing up other funds to be used for the terrorism. Sure. And it's a, a total defiance of American law, and yet no, nobody seems to care in Washington. No, well, Washington is a cesspool of sycophants no and, and shitbags. Uh, so th- no one in our audience uh, works in, in Washington, D.C. in politics. Uh, most of them are not Muslims either. But I wonder what, from our perspective, like, uh, let, let's, <clears throat> let's, let's kind of uh, uh, actualize this in some way. What, is, what can normal people, non-Islamic people in the West do to help this situation, if anything? Well, in the first place, we have to elect people who have some responsible awareness of what we're dealing with and refuse to accept all these politicians who keep insisting that Islam is a religion of peace that has nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. And so there's absolutely no reason why we need to call Muslims in the United States to any kind of account or expect any kind of reform efforts from them, and so on. That, you know, I think a great deal of the problems in America will be solved once we stop accepting all this nonsense from politicians. Mm. And we're just so used to politicians lying for political expediency about so many things, not just this, that, well, we, are, we, are, we get what we asked for. And if we stop standing for it in any field, and insisted, you're not. You're just not going to get any votes if you keep saying the stuff that is patently false. Then we'll maybe start making some progress. Sure, I mean, in organizations like yours, Jihadist Watch, are uh, an important part of that. I, I don't think it. Honestly, I don't think most people know that uh, Oz said what he said about the other candidate. I, I like. I haven't seen that. In the media, I haven't even seen it in social media. The only place I've heard it from are people who do this kind of work, right? Well, you're right. Now, I myself, I wrote an article about it yesterday at pjmedia.com. You can find it there, and it's sourced to the news story. It was reported. I, you know, Obviously, uh, I, I didn't make it up. But the point is, you're right. These things aren't getting any attention from the so-called news media. And so another thing that we must do to free ourselves, get us out of the fix that we're in, is to understand that these are not really news sources. These are propaganda outlets for the left, and we have to reject them and look for the news elsewhere. Great. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming today. Uh, Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the book, uh, so they can go check all this out on their own. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Good talking to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm at jihadwatch.org, which is, I think, the only news site in the world that not only tracks jihad activity every day, but explains it, gives its sources, its root causes, remedies where possible, and so on. Uh, Also, jihadwatchrs on Twitter. The book, The Critical Quran, is available now at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, anywhere their books are sold.
All right. Well, we really appreciate the conversation, all the information. You're uh, one of the foremost experts in this field. And uh, though, uh, if you Google, uh, if you Google yourself, you're probably going to find a lot of negative shit. But I would, I would encourage people to dig a little bit deeper and find some actual, like the things that you actually say, the red text from uh, from Robert Spencer. And Thank uh, you. yeah, uh, we really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, uh, we'll see you again next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.